coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. This entire thought started in 2 Chronicles 8, verse 1. In 2 Chronicles 8, verse 1, it talks about uh, this glimpse at Solomon's life for 20 years. Uh, Solomon's life, it says, at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house. Solomon was known as somebody who built both the house of the Lord and his own house. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you might have struggled with this idea. Do I build my own life? Do I build my own legacy? Do I take care of my family? Or... Do I build the house of the Lord? Now, both, no matter which side you end up, you end up sacrificing something that God did not ask you to sacrifice. No matter whether you say, I'm just going to, I'm going to work, build our, you know, build our net worth, build, build this great life for our family over here, you're going to sacrifice something over here. If you say, I'm just going to work to build the house of the Lord, you may actually end up giving up something that God never asked you to give up. Because you just so wanted to do it on your own strength. But I believe, as Solomon shows, that God doesn't want us to build our own house or build the house of the Lord. He wants us to build our own lives and build the house of the Lord at the same time. They're both stronger when you build them together. And so this series is all about building our own life. We're talking about, we're really talking about work, you know. Turn to someone and say, work. Work. We're talking about Work, And we find that in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, this is all a part of the, the creation account. And um, God you know, makes Adam and then he sends him to work. He sends him to the office. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He said, you got you to gotta go to work. You got to go to work. You, you got to get out of the house. You got to do something with your life. None of this just riding around on giant lions in paradise. You need to uh, do something with your life, Adam. Often we think of work as something that only happens after paradise. Maybe you think of it as hell. <laughs> but God doesn't want you to think of work in that way. And when we're talking about this idea of work, we're not just talking about your vocation. We're also talking about your craft, your trade. We could talk about a gift, a spiritual grace on your life, whatever word from whatever background you want to use. And all of that is a part of who God created you to be, and he wants you to use that thing. Um, sometimes you get to use it for your job. Sometimes you don't. But he wants you to use that thing to create a beautiful world out of brokenness. Um, has anyone ever had that moment where you sat back, you reevaluated your life, and you just said, wow, things did not turn out the way that I thought it would? Anyone have that thought? Seth, you're 26. How do you have that thought already? <laughs> it's like, wow, I... Oof. Not what I planned, you know. It's like one of those moments. Uh, in case you're wondering, a Canadian business has, has uh, magazine has has put together the top ten list of the best jobs in Canada. So if you're wondering, I just thought maybe you're looking for job shopping. I thought I would give you uh, the top ten list of jobs in Canada. Starting at number ten, we have an engineering manager. So if you haven't got your engineering degree, go back to school. Okay, number nine, financial manager. Okay, number eight oil and gas well operator. They did not take into account the times. Okay, number seven, software engineer. Number six, construction manager. Number five, public administration director. Go work for that government. Uh, number four, pilot uh, and flight instructor. So there you go. That sounds amazing. Number three, pharmacist. Y'all need drugs. Uh, number two, urban planner. 
All right, and number one, mining and forestry manager. Now, the way that they compiled, just leave this up here, Trina. The way that they compiled this list is that they looked for the highest paying job with the most amount of power and the most amount of opportunity. That's the way they compiled this list of the best jobs out there. I want us to look at something in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. That was just for your knowledge. Uh, Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2, verse 18. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Now, if you have to go to the office in paradise, not a bad gig. It's like God makes an animal. I'm assuming, I don't know what you're sitting on in a lush forest, maybe some kind of vegetation. Um, and you're, so you're, you're kind of just lounging there, maybe by a riverbank, I don't know. And God brings it in, and you're like, yes, platypus. And you name, it's like, okay, what's this one? Hmm, emu. You know, it's like you just sit there making up names. You're like, I should consider the names of all these things. This one I shall call zebra. And it's like, I don't know how he got this thing, but this was his job. When God said, so this is literally verses after Genesis 2.15 where God says, go to work. He says, go to work and name all the animals, Adam. And Adam's like, this sounds like a great job. You know, the Bible's got some, some great jobs. Verse 20, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all of the animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. There was literally nothing on earth that could satisfy Adam in his work. Nothing on earth. There was this, this void that even in the midst of paradise, Only the perfect partner who could only come from and was created by God could bring a satisfaction to Adam. His work could not complete him. He he was given, number I think, the greatest job in history, name all the animals. He might have got to ride them. I'm not sure. That's how I would name it, orca, you know. (laughs) I'm riding on the back of a whale. It's like, But nothing could satisfy him. He went through every animal on the face of this earth down to a mosquito. He says, no, there's not a partner there. There's not a fulfillment there. He went through every single, I don't know how many species there are. We know that there's like ones that don't even exist right now that he got to name. And he got to see, what, thousands? Thousands of species that walk the earth? Hundreds of thousands? I don't know. He went through each one. He said, I cannot find satisfaction in this work. God, are you leading me on an endless quest that I just have to keep searching? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know? I don't know. He just searches. And he comes to the end of himself, and he, God says, listen, it's okay, Adam. It's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make somebody perfect for you. (laughs) Now, yes, we were talking about a wife, but the implication is so much greater because this, this is, I mean, we're patterning how we build our whole lives off of this creation account. So this narrative, narrative is so much richer. Yes, there is, uh, there is somebody perfect that God has created and crafted to, to walk through life with you. But even more than that, God is calling things into, uh, as, uh, into a list. He's making his own greatest list. And he says, there's something greater than your work. It's your family. It's your relationships. 
You will never find ultimate contentment in your job. You will never find ultimate contentment in the being a mining engineer. That wasn't even on the list. Manager. You see, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, this whole list was all about money, power, and opportunity. The kingdom of God is about serving the least of these. You'll never find ultimate contentment if all we pursue is those things, those ideals. God has set a new order in place. There's a new world order. He says, listen, your family is where you find. It's where you find peace. It's where you come home to at night. People are the prize. There is nothing on earth that could satisfy me. You see, Sometime along the way, maybe it's grade two, grade three, grade four. I don't know what age it is. I know somebody got asked this question, me, in grade one. What do you want to be when you grow up? In grade one, you just do whatever your dad does because your dad is still bigger than everyone else's dad, still stronger, still smarter, whatever. And so I'm like an accountant, clearly. And you don't know what that is, but there's an office, and I made a drawing of an office and all these kinds of things. But when you ask somebody that question, we're actually beginning to uh, put onto them a set of thinking that says life is about a destination. Life is about getting somewhere. Our education does the same thing. Grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four. You're kind of passing it. You've already got to, always got to make the next thing to the next level. The life we go, okay, if I'm going to be this, this is what I want to be when I grow up. And if I do this, I will find contentment and I will find purpose and I will find joy. If I could just do this one dream job, this one thing that I was created to do. You don't know that you were created to do it. You just think it because you've never done it. But this is my one thing. And so we pursue that thing with everything that we have, not realizing that we, we've just said that our life is about a destination. Because the question that comes next is, what do you do after you get there? What do you do after you've accomplished it, after you've, you've fulfilled it, after the goal is done, the job is done? The other thing about that list was it was all about power, right? I get to be a manager be somebody's boss. Maybe you've had that moment where you go, man, this is not really what I thought my life was going to look like. I thought I would be like so much further ahead, which just really means I thought I would have more money, thought I'd have a bigger house, thought I'd have three SUVs instead of two, <laughs> whatever, whatever your thing is. Maybe it's sports cars. Maybe it's bikes. People like bikes. I don't know. It's a thing. These hipsters. <laughs> Try that on Yellowhead, all right? Um, what, I, whatever your thing is. I thought, it, man, my life doesn't look, I just thought I'd be so much further ahead. Just means you thought you'd have more stuff. Or if you couldn't have more stuff, you thought that you'd have more power by now. You'd have, you thought you had the ability to control your own destiny, to make your own call, to go vacation what you want, to do whatever you want. You know, you see those commercials on TV where somebody cracks open a cold beverage in a big Androndrak chair. I don't know how to say that word. Big th chair, patio chair. And there's like an endless ocean in front of them. And it's like, Lime wedge out the top. And they're just enjoying life. We thought, I could thought I was going to be that guy by now. Well, what time did, what age did you want to retire? 37. I just thought I'd be retired by now. Uh, okay. So what we've, what we've learned or what we've 
what society has put on us and what we have wholeheartedly embraced is that we have to have the most money possible, the most biggest amount of money, we have to have the biggest amount of paycheck, and we have to have the most amount of power and control because if we have power and control, then we have everything and we can call the shots and we can make our own decisions. And so if we play out that scenario, we get as much money as we possibly can so that we can quit all of our jobs, start our own business, and, and be our own boss. And But what we really want to do is go to the beach and never come back. So our life goal is then to make a whole bunch of money that we can sit on and do nothing with while we sit on a beach. So literally our whole ambition in life is to do nothing. It's to do nothing. And yet, while we're on that journey to do nothing, there's a restlessness in our heart because we're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find meaning. We're trying to do something, to be somebody, to change the world. You know, millennials are the biggest generation that's ever walked this face of the earth. Some of you are terrified by that. The rest of us who actually just come here are like, oh, okay, cool. There's a, there's a trait about this generation that working a job is not enough. We don't just want to work a job. You want to work a job and change the world. Can I tell you that it's really hard to change the world when you're sitting on the beach doing nothing? But even your endless pursuit of changing the world, whatever that looks like to you, will leave you dissatisfied. Why? Because what we end up doing is saying changing the world is a waypoint. It's a, it's a destination. When I set it on the GPS, when I make X amount of dollars, when I have my family's in order, my house is in order, my car's in order, and, you know, I, I, can, I can take a week and a half to go and do something, and I'm going to go do this one thing, and then I'm going to change the world. When I'm rich and powerful, I'm going to change the world. But here's the thing. By the account of the rest of the world, 90% of the world, you already are rich and powerful. So if it's not about destinations, if it's not about any of those things, what it's actually about, it's about a journey. It all comes back to the very beginning of creation when Adam and Eve were there in the garden with God, and I've referenced this all the way through, and they would walk and they would talk with God in the cool of the day. And they would build their lives together. It's about putting the pieces together. It's about building a life where our priorities make sense. God, Jesus, top, my family, everything else. We're going to talk about what family means in the Bible in the next series. But here's some, here's some take-homes for you. Um, and this, this first point is really exciting. Uh, you know when you, uh, you have that idea of what you want your life to look like, and you've got that dream? You know that moment? Like, this is my dream. I'm going to be, it's like Zootopia, I'm going to be the greatest cop in the history of all time. And you're a bunny, you know. So those of you with kids have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine, go watch Zootopia. You've got a dream, you've got this idea, this thing that you want to accomplish, this person that you want to be. Uh, and then you, you get into it, and you get into it for 10 or 20 years, and you're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Can I tell you, and this is the first point, this is a really depressing first point. The future that you always wanted never really existed. <laughs> That's depressing, right? 
You're like, geez, this guy is leaving the country, just dropping these bombs on us. And here, here, here's why. You know, uh, when, when you become a parent, just before you're a parent, when you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a young married couple and you want to have a kid, and you think that you know what you're going to be like as a parent, and you think these other people and their kids are a hot mess, and that you're going to do it better, and you're going to discipline, all right? Your kids are not going to have that meltdown in that store. And you talk amongst yourselves as if you actually know what you're talking about, but all the other people with kids, and you just go, oh, you just wait and see. You won't get it. You won't get it until you're living it. This is the exact same thing. The truth is, we position ourselves for a life full of destination points of what we're going to be and what we're going to accomplish, but we actually have no idea what that's going to look like in our lives. We have no idea what it's going to cost us. We have no idea what skills that it takes, what, what the requirements are. It's very possible that you're dreaming of something that isn't even reality. It doesn't work with your skill set. It doesn't work with your talents. It doesn't work with your personality. Really, you're just digging yourself a hole. This is supposed to be an upper. I know. But we're digging at something, and we're digging at the root of your fulfillment. When we come through life and we look back, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's because you thought about it wrong. You put your hopes and your dreams and your future and your trust in that idea. You invested all of your faith into that one thing. And so when it doesn't turn out, it doesn't pan out, you come on this side and you're looking back at that thing and you're so angry or hurt or disappointed because you think that God let you down. And every moment becomes a struggle. Every minute becomes the embodiment of disappointment. Because God let me down. It doesn't look like the way I thought it should look. I don't get paid what I think I should get paid. And I tell you, you never will get paid what you think you should get paid. Mainly because there's no limit to what you think that you should get paid. If you're Bill Gates, you still think you can make more money. It doesn't end. The future that you wanted never really existed. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. If you're not offended, you will get offended now. When I, was a, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. This may be that realization moment when you come into the real world. I don't know. Maybe none of us ever grow up out of it. And I'm not... I'm really not trying to uh, kill your dream. I'm just trying to help you put it to death. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. I don't want to do it. You have to do it yourself. Because your dream is not about you. Your life is not about you. The highest calling that our gifts, our talents, our abilities, that our work could ever have is bringing glory to Jesus. You were created for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring glory to God. So all along the way, we've, we've created this, this, this pathway, this thing of what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what we want to become, what we want. And really, at the end of the day, we're saying, this is what I want for me. But Jesus says, what about the things that I have for you? 
We take the one or two things that we're good at really quick and we just develop it and we get really excited about it and we put all of our energy into it. And God says, but I've got so much more. Don't just limit yourself right there, which leads us to my next point, which you're not going to like either. You may have already accomplished your dream. You may have already lived it. Before we get there, I was in, I was in high school uh, a long time ago and... To date myself, it was right at the beginning of the television show CSI. Now, now there's 35 versions of CSI, and the guy goes, you know, at CSI Miami, and it's always super cheesy. But this was the very beginning of CSI, the original, like Grissom, CSI, Las Vegas. And so we had a career day at school, and they decided to bring in somebody, because CSI was so popular, from the crime lab, right? Amazing. So they bring the guys in from the crime lab, and this session is literally packed to the rafters. I went to Rosh Hashanah High School. They packed the entire cafeteria because everyone says, I know what I want to be. I want to be the guy on CSI with the jacket. Well, then if you want to be the guy with the jacket, just go buy the jacket off eBay, all right? It's and so the guy came, and he was a super boring, normal-looking human. He wasn't, like, have, like, ridiculous good-looking, you know. He was just a great person, and he was nice, and he was kind, and he was intelligent. And he detailed to us how they set up a crime scene where they put up the big grid, and then they search literally each grass and every little thing, and they're digging. I think he was trying to make it, like, really tell us how terrible it was. And for hours at a time, they would work on this little square just looking for the smallest uh, piece of evidence that they could find and little little by little you could walk watch across the room and the room started emptying out as the guy kept talking because he just talked about the tedious slow nature because when you watch it on tv and the whole thing's done in 60 minutes though the you know all the tests last like what 20 seconds at most for the long ones when you're like man this test is taking forever and he goes through the tediousness of his job you see, he broke a lot of hearts that day. <laughs> but people came, <laughs> came to a point in their lives and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not wired that way. This is the next thing. You've ar- you may have already accomplished your dream. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Here's the thing about dreams, uh, if I haven't broken your heart already. Here's the thing about dreams. Dreams are great. Dreams are amazing. I believe that dreams come from God, but oftentimes our biggest dreams and the things that we uh, position our lives uh, towards are actually things that are meant for something else. They are not the end point, they are not the final point, and they may not even be the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. You say, well, why would God do that? I just, I just want to dance. Yeah, me. I just want to wear a bodysuit and I was born. I just want to dance with Beyonce. Sorry for the mental picture. (laughs) I just want to dance. It's entirely possible that God is using your dance, your gifts, your talents and abilities to reach people that need to be reached, to be in contact with people, to to move you to a city, to to chase after an opportunity so that you can go and, and be positioned in just the right place at just the right time so that God can use all your experience of, of, of building that group and, and booking shows and touring and doing all that stuff to, to propel you forward into your future. We often think that our dream is an endpoint. What if your dream is actually a launch pad? 
What if it's just actually there to move you into the right place so God can catapult you forward this way? But we think that it's only about this. It's only our moment. It's only this thing. I have to do this thing. And if this is not what I'm doing with the rest of my life, then God is a liar. God's not a liar. He just knows you wouldn't go over there by yourself. (laughs) He just knows that he needed to develop all those gifts, those talents, those abilities, that personality, your perseverance, your patience, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. He uses your dreams to cultivate that fruit. But it's not an endpoint. See, what some of you could tell, and maybe some of you had no idea, is that I just wanted to be a rock star. Like Bono. It's what I wanted to do. It was my dream. And Matt and I, this is Matt. Matt, why don't you say hi to everybody so they know who you are? He's like, I hate you so much right now. That's Matt. Matt and I, he was a drummer today. Matt and I were in a band together, and, and we have big dreams. You know, we refer to our future careers as Plan B, you know. <laughs> Maybe the band should have been Plan B. But um, so, so we did that, and we, went, we ran after it hard for eight years, long time. Two albums, way more kilometers than we would like to probably admit, and way too many nights sharing a bed with Matt. Like, <laughs> I think now eight years into marriage, I'm just approaching... <laughs> The amount of times uh, that I've shared a bed with my wife as I have with Matt. Like, because every, when you're a band, they're like, oh, one hotel room's fine for nine of you? You're like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Living the dream. And uh, hashtag living the dream. And, and we had all kinds of big dreams and aspirations and goals, and, and God used those things to prepare us for our future. Now, here's the incredible thing. We accomplished some great things. We had some big dreams. Hey, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to play in a stadium. Check. You know what I want to do with my life? I want to play for thousands of people. Check. You know what? I could use some recognition. Maybe we should win some awards. Okay, check. Hey, you know what would be awesome? Touring another country. Check. You know what's even better? Recording with a Grammy award-winning producer. Check. Except that that was all done in 2008. It was over. God told me to quit. So I quit. God used all those experiences, all those relationships, all of that stuff that I learned along the way to prepare me for this exact thing right here. See, when we started the church, you know what it felt like? It felt like the days when we used to pack up the trailer and go on the road and play a show. Because when we started the church, we started in a movie theater, and so we needed to know how to wire sound systems to do it quickly, to do it efficiently, to make things sound good and look good with a limited budget and in a weird place. And so God took all those experiences, he took my dreams, and he propelled me forward into something else that he always knew about, but I had no idea. I just thought I was going down this road. Here's the thing. You think that uh, you, you could just live here in this moment. But if we live here in this moment, we just get stuck in our own self. Because we think, I only find fulfillment if it's this dream, and my life only matters if I do this, and I make this, and I, and I am a success. And so you know those people that don't move on from the thing that was really supposed to be the trampoline to launch them forward. It's possible that you have already lived and accomplished your dream, fulfilled that phase of your life, and now God is using that to move you forward. Have you ever checked into a hotel, a hotel with like a, you know, and they go, hey, it's a room with a view. 
and you look at the thing, you're like, oh, courtyard view. And you get up to the room, and you realize that the courtyard is the parking lot <laughs> with, like, a metro train going behind you. And it's like, all night, you just, you hear the train. People are honking. There's people yelling. But it's a room with a view. It's a courtyard. It's a courtyard view. I want us to look at something in 2 Corinthians 5. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and a new life has begun. Let's go back to verse 16 for a moment. Let's back one verse. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And I want to extrapolate this thought and drop it into our lives right now. I wonder what might happen to our mindset, to our state of mind, to our heart, to how we feel about our lives if we stopped evaluating ourselves and our lives from a human point of view. What if we stopped evaluating our dreams from a human point of view? See, very, very literally, the Apostle Paul is talking about people who, when they saw Jesus, they only saw Jesus as a good man, as a good person, as a good teacher. That's how they understood him. They understood him to be very smart, to be a great communicator who could draw crowds by the thousands. They heard stories and rumblings of the miraculous, but at the end of the day, they just thought, hey, Jesus is a good guy. And something changed. Something changed when they realized that that's just not a good person. That's actually the Son of God. Probably the moment when he was resurrected from the dead, they're like, snap. That guy, he just came back. How did he do that? He must be God. But let's stop evaluating from him from a human point of view. And their whole perspective changed on Jesus. What if I told you today that the whole point of me talking up here is to help you come to the place where you can look and evaluate your dreams, your visions, your craft, your goals, your ambitions, and you could have stopped evaluating them from a human point of view. What if we could start evaluating them from an entirely different perspective? From a perspective that says, from square one, God has already said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Where you're not working to perform. You're not working to achieve the love of God. You're not working to achieve some status so you could buy your way into heaven. What if we could stop thinking about our work as the definition of our entire life and trying to put our identity into it and trying to extract every last ounce of who we are from that thing? What if we came to the same point that Adam came to when he just kept naming things and he said, but this isn't the right one. This isn't the right thing. God has more for you than just your job, your craft, or your dream. Don't let your dream get the best of you. God's using your dream to extract the best of you. Stop evaluating you. That's really easy for you to say up there with the microphone. It is. It's also handy when the Bible helps me out. Psalm 119, verse 105. For your word, God, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. When we try and plot our own course to set the compass and move in the direction that we want to go to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, whether or not we like it or not, we're actually walking in the dark. 
because it's our idea, it's our plan, it's not God's plan. The Bible lets us know that God's word, his presence, Jesus working, walking, talking with you, that's what brings light. That's what illuminates the path. If you feel like you've been stumbling and walking around in circles and you can't find what you're looking for and you can't find that destiny and you thought you'd be further ahead, it's possible that Jesus is just waiting to put the lights on and say, come on, why don't you walk with me for a few moments? Here's the crazy thing. You might even walk on the same path, but can I tell you, the same path looks a whole lot better when the lights are on. My last one generation to generation. First Chronicles 22. So David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and you have waged great wars and you shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood for me on Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel. He shall build a house for my name, he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Here's why that matters. David wanted to build this temple. He wanted to build a house for God. Up until this point, he was worshipped in tents and temporary structures. And David was heartbroken because David, as, as, as a rich and successful king, said, listen, I've got palaces. I don't have one. I've got palaces. And God is worshipped in a tent. That's not right. And he had a dream in his heart. He said, God, I just want to build a house for you. I just want it to be nice. I'm going to do this. I want to do this thing for you. Let this. You've done so much for me. Let this be my thing for you. And at the end of his life, God shows up to David. He says, David, you can't do it. You can't fulfill your dream. It's not you. It's not your destiny. But it's my dream, God. We find later in Acts that the Bible says that David actually fulfilled everything that God had laid out for him to do in his life. This was his plus one. This was his one more thing. He's like, God, this is my legacy piece. This is my dream. I got to do this thing. He says, no, 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 no. You can't do it. We read it says, the classical translation says, because you have blood on your hand. We go, oh, it's because David sinned. Because he killed, you know, the guy, he slept his wife and killed him. That's, it's not about that. It's not about your sin. I took care of that. It's because you did what I asked you to do and you fight, you fought many battles for me. And we can't build this house in war times. We have to build this house in peace. He said, David, it's not you. I know it's, this is everything. This is everything to you, but it's not you. It's for your son. It's for your son. It's for your son. So this is what David did. This is chapter 22. For the next six chapters, it talks about all the preparations that David went through to build the temple. He made the plans. He bought the stuff. He hired laborers. He, he literally did everything that he could do without building it. He created all the infrastructure, all the systems. For Solomon to build the temple, this is what Solomon had to do. He had to say, hmm, it's a good day to build the temple. 
Let's start. David used his wisdom, his knowledge, everything. He used that dream to fuel him to prepare for his son. God works from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Your story does not end with you. Your story is continued through the generations, through your children, through your children's children, through your children's 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 children. You say, well, I don't have any children of my own. But you can be a spiritual mother and a father. And guess what? Your, your spiritual DNA is passed down from generation to generation to generation. Because as we talk about the family of God in the next number of weeks, yeah, you know, that's going to be enlightened to you. But your life is not just about your life. That's why the pattern at the very beginning started with God finding the perfect partner for Adam. Started with family. This is Psalm 127, then we'll sing. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved one. Then it, then it pivots. You know, first it says it's useless unless you're going to build with God. It's useless to build. But then God pivots halfway through this chapter. He says, but children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the name is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Now, I'm not saying you need to go all dance mom on your or hockey dad who you've chosen because you didn't make it even though you made it to the AHL and you didn't make it or you know you maybe you made it to the dub the dub and you got injured and you just never know what could be it doesn't mean that it's your job to force that destiny on your child but is it possible because God works from generation to generation to generation to generation is it possible that part of your dream that part of your life is intended to be a launch pad somebody else you've been listening to the engage life powered by engage city church if you like what you heard check out engagechurch.ca